to Let's Get Haunted with your host, Matt and Allie. Hey guys. Hey guys. What's going on? We're in quarantine still. Welcome to episode 39. I don't remember which quarantine episode this is anymore because time no longer exists. What times three is 39? 13. So it's haunted. It's super fucking haunted. Oh my God. It's super fucking haunted. We figured it out. Because. Holy shit. (laughs) Anything divisible by three is haunted. Three, which is like 3 a.m., which is the witching hour. And 13. Which is also a prime number. Yes. And it looks like a pitchfork. It also can look like boobs or a butt if you flip it. Or it can look like a little cat's mouth. Like in those emoticons. Yeah, well, when you're Kauai, like you're, you use emoticons. <laughs> I'm not sure why, but you do. And um, yeah, I, I, I used to have like a whole page full of all the different kinds of faces you could do with all the different symbols and whatever. Oh, you know what though? I was reading something. Uh, this has to do with actually with the quarantine and with Japanese emoticons. Whoa, what? Yeah. Okay. So I was reading that people in America were complaining, oh, I hate these face masks because I can never tell what someone's expression is on their face. Right. And I was reading this article about that. And it was basically saying that in Japan, that's a non-issue because Japanese actually look to your eyes to express emotions, whereas Americans look to the mouth to express emotions. And that that's why Japanese emoticons have like the eyes, like, you know, like the cute little eyes. Yeah. Whereas American emoticons, it's like all based on the mouth. Wow, I really love learning things like that, Alyssa. Wow, let's like really sit and unpack that for a second. I don't want anyone to look at my mouth for many reasons. One, because (laughs) like, I don't know, I might have some like stray hairs there that like don't need to be there. Two, there might be some like food in my teeth. Three, I'm self-conscious about my teeth, like getting fucked up from drinking Red Bull and coffee, like, you know, it's water. And also my lips are always like super chapped from being like dehydrated and and just dying in general. Yeah. And if someone looked into my eyes, they might like just be like, oh, this person is fine. (laughs) But I don't want them to look into my mouth. That's weird. Why do you think we do that? I don't know. But I was actually thinking that exactly what you're just saying. I was thinking too, when I was reading that article, I was like, wow, things would be so much easier if Americans would just look at my eyes. Like, because I'm the same thing as you. I'm like, oh shit, are my teeth stained from drinking wine? Laser hair removal is not possible right now in quarantine. (laughs) Are people looking at like stray hairs? Like, look at my eyes instead i feel that man yeah you know what's something cool about this quarantine though what nothing and it's gonna go on for another three months in la that's haunted everything's haunted about this states that are shut down are haunted and states that haven't shut down are haunted just this whole situation is haunted yeah like fuck i I keep being like oh i'm just gonna move okay i'm just gonna go somewhere else and like everywhere is it's the same right now i feel claustrophobic on planet earth i just wanted to say something else that's haunted Uh, we have had people trying to create a Wikipedia article about Let's Get Haunted for like a couple weeks now. Wait, that's and great. Wikipedia, no, but Wikipedia has rejected those article submissions four times now. I created an account and tried to submit an article and my account got banned. Wait, why? And- I don't know, but they're allowing, we're listed as sources for like, different articles and they allow it like the Jameson family disappearance we're listed as a source on that and Wikipedia allows it but then when they when like people try to make articles about us it gets like banned 
Well, this just shows you how fucking not true Wikipedia could be. If we are a source for things, (laughs) and then also they won't let us have a page. Like, what the fuck is going on with the website? It's a conspiracy, right? I know. I can't figure it out. So one of our fans, Goodnight Guy, you might remember him because he's the guy that sent us the haunted planchette. Oh, yeah. He's been, like, really helping us, like, trying to make this Wikipedia thing happen. And he was like, oh, well, I guess they say that, like, you guys don't have enough, like, third-party sources. And so I was thinking about it, and I was like, that's actually, like, not even true because... We've been interviewed by ID8 TV at AlienCon. Remember oh, that? Yeah, and the we, BBC. We were, yeah, the BBC. We were interviewed by that German news station at Area 51. Like, we have that article that a fan wrote about us. Right. Um, we, like, we actually randomly have, like, a lot of stuff right. that has happened in a year. Wikipedia, if you don't allow us to go in there, I will expose you guys for whatever it is that you're doing. I don't know what it is yet, but yeah. I'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what our next uh, our next episode is going to be on, like, big Wikipedia instead of big pharma. It's like big knowledge. I don't know. <laughs> big public knowledge. But we also have a website now, so I don't know why they're trying to deny us our right oh, to yeah. have if a Wikipedia you, article. Um, Alyssa, thank you so much. Alyssa made us a placeholder website. And um, so if you it's go to so Let's, janky. If you go to letsgethaunted.com. <laughs> I checked it out, too, because Alyssa was like, can let me just make a quick placeholder? And I was like, OK. So I went and checked it out. And it's really cute. You did a very good job, Alyssa. <laughs> it's like a cross between a Tumblr post and like a 2014 recipe blog spot is the way I would describe yeah, it. Yeah, that's what I think I said yeah. to you immediately. I was like, I don't yeah. know how you've done it, but you found a way to turn our, <laughs> uh, our podcast into like a 2001 uh, live journal. But yes. That's straight up what it is. What I liked about it is like I was scrolling through some of the tabs and it's like, oh, about us and information and whatever. And there was one that was like, buy our shit. And I clicked on it and then it just like went to a page that had no server. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, how did you even do this? Like, why would you even do this? This is rude. No, go to it right now, Natalia. Go to letsgethaunted.com. I want you to click on about us. Okay. Let's get haunted. Oh my gosh, I just typed in Let's Get Haunted and Let's Get Haunted Alley came up. What? Yeah, Let's Get Haunted Alley, Let's Get Haunted Podcast, Let's Get Haunted Podcast. But I'm I'm very offended. Why did not Natalia come up or Nat? You guys suck. Someone search Let's Get Haunted Nat, so why come up too? Okay. Yeah, everyone just start spamming Google so that we're we come up. Right. Like up on everything. It's like how to change a tire, let's get haunted. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I'm on our I'm on our website right now. It says welcome okay, to the describe it to the listeners. It's uh it looks bad. Like it's just a bunch of random <laughs> pictures together and then in like what looks like Times New Roman, welcome to the only <laughs> investigative journalism podcast about shit that may or may not have even happened in the first place keep scrolling just scroll hover over some pictures okay there's a bunch of pictures of what look like are um things we've talked about okay here's one of Diatlov pass it looks like it says episode one the Diatlov pass incident 60 years ago during the cold war in the soviet union a group of 10 hikers experienced an event that to this day no one has been able to fully explain listen to this episode now by clicking the links below soundcloud itunes spotify lovely Alyssa. this is nice this is such a good job you did and you can go through all the episodes wait let's see what you said about the curse of the lost dutchman's gold mine if you guys are new listeners 
You need to listen to episode four, The Curse of the Lost Dutchman's Gold Mine, and it'll just help It's explain. our landmark. It's a landmark episode. If you're wondering if what you it's If you want to know anything about us, yeah, you got to listen to episode four. It says, there is a lost gold mine supposedly located in the Superstition Mountain Range of Arizona. Nearly all who have sought the mine have met with death or been driven insane. Is the gold cursed? Is the mine located near the entrance to hell? Does the mysterious thunder god guard the mine? Does it even exist at all? Listen now. (laughs) I love this. Wait, what's this? It says about us. Oh my god, this is great. It says about us. And it just has a picture of Liam Neeson and Nick Cage. (laughs) And then it just says haunted AF and a donate sign. And then you go to donate and it goes to Alyssa's Kofi page. That's great. (laughs) I click buy our shit. Oh, and it goes to the, uh, it goes to merch for all thing. Wait, can you still get these pop sockets? I have no idea, but you're right. It used to just go to a broken server. And then I was like, well, let me just put this link just in case it still works. Yeah, and no. then I figured once we get those jackets up that you were talking about or those yeah. shirts or whatever we decide to do, we can put the link there. Yeah, it just said I tried to get a pop socket and it says it's out of it's out. This is great, Alyssa. Oh. I love this about us and all it all it has is Liam Neeson and Nick Cage. And it looks like Liam Neeson is like looking angrily at Nick Cage. <laughs> yeah. I was laughing so hard when I did it. And then I was like, no one is going to think this is funny. This is so low budget and stupid. I think it's hilarious because <laughs> Liam Neeson would think Nick Cage was a big pussy. He would be like, you, you even have a map? <laughs> Exactly. Like, you took the time to research what you were looking for? (laughs) Fuck you. I had to find what I was looking for because of adversity. Right. This is just a random out of left field, but I got a few DMs from people who ordered with the discount code from Honeybolt CBD. Oh, yay. Yeah. And someone told me that they, like, well, a few people told me that they hooked it up. They ordered, like, a thousand milligram CBD bottle, and then they got the 2,500 one. So, like, it's one is 60 bucks and one's 30 bucks and they just hooked it up and sent them more oh shit that's awesome yeah. thank you guys for using our discount code haunted at yeah. checkout we love you so much thank you speaking of people that used our discount code we also want to thank our donors i'm just gonna list off the names that natalia sent me and the names that i saw on my venmo um and some of these i may have already said i don't know i'm just gonna say them Preston G, Mathan B, Daniel G, Christina T, Brielle S, Ephraim P, Madison K, Lauren E M, Phil G, Kinsley M, Madison F, Hannah R, Ella P, Bridget G, Lauren B, Anna L, Lauren D, and Marco M. And I also want to thank Amy S and Bree D. Thanks, guys. And if you'd like to donate to us to help out the show, you can do so by Venmoing us at DogMomUSA or at Nat Strawn, N-A-T-S-T-R-A-W-N, or Cash App is the money sign Natalia Strawn, or what's the other one? PayPal. Uh, my PayPal website is paypal.me slash Nat Strawn. Or you can send us a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash dogmomusa. Yeah, guys. Hell yeah. Thank you. And we randomly got a lot of new followers on Instagram. So if you want to follow us anywhere, literally anywhere, it's at Let's Get Haunted. Anywhere on the internet. Wait, why did we get more followers? I'm always so surprised that anyone is interested in us at all. 
Well, I don't I, know why. No, I'm constantly just like mystified. One of my Pilates cr- clients listened. Well, I got them all hooked on Let's Get Haunted, obviously, because I never shut the fuck up about it, right? They're like trying to do Pilates <laughs> and I'm like, so, you know, I'm just like <laughs> emotional vomiting on them. But now they're hooked. So one of my clients was like, I love Let's Get Haunted. And he said that it's a podcast for people who already know everything and they just need oh, shit. they need to learn about things that they didn't know about anymore because i was like i was like that's great that's amazing yeah i was like that's yeah, amazing that's perfect that's exactly what it is it's like people who know everything and now they want to learn about stuff they didn't know about <laughs> oh that's awesome you guys if you have a tagline for us uh comment on our instagram what you think it should be and then we'll just like read them all off on the next episode because that's a really good tagline he created. Stuff yeah. for people who already know everything, so now they want to learn about like other shit or shit that's not important. <laughs> they already know everything that's important. Let's learn about some stuff that may or may not have happened. I think it's important. I think it's important too. And today I have a very important story for you, Natalia. Good. Are you ready? I'm really ready. I'm excited. Okay, let's jump right the fuck into it. So, Natalia. Yes. What do you what do you know about curses? Um, I have one, definitely. <laughs> uh, I know a lot about curses. We just did an episode about Japanese curses. Uh, a curse is like a residual bad energy that someone leaves behind. It's like an intent, right? So like if somebody wanted to curse you with like being infertile for the rest of your life, they could like, you know, curse your womb so that it could never carry life. And then usually there's a way to lift the curse that has to have like an equal amount of energy in it. Um, to reverse it so like maybe you have to go I don't know like help five women give birth <laughs> I don't know and then yeah can, yeah no that's can. perfect or it's like true love's kiss type thing there's usually some bullshit about like true love's kiss I don't know fuck why but it is that you are exactly fucking right and according to Wikipedia which is simultaneously our favorite source and also they <laughs> hate us apparently like according to them a curse is any expressed wish that some form of adversity or misfortune will befall or attach to one or more persons a place or an object in particular the concept of a curse may refer to such a wish of pronouncement made effective by a supernatural or spiritual power such as a god or gods a spirit or a natural force or else as a kind of spell by magic or witchcraft in the latter sense a curse may also be called a hex or a jinx in many belief systems the curse itself is considered to have some causative force in the result to reverse or eliminate a curse is sometimes called removal or breaking as the spell has to be mm. dispelled and often requires elaborate rituals, prayers, or the completion of some act. So it's exactly what you just said, yeah. uh, like where someone or something will like put this spell on you either by magic or something else like some I think it's almost always supernatural well a good example of that would be like Harry Potter right so that's I was just about to ask you if you can think of any curses in literature so um Harry Potter Sleeping Beauty Snow White Beauty and the Beast Shrek right uh wait wait um so like raiders of the lost ark like there's like Mm -hmm. curses in that on this stuff the curse of the mummy yeah yes uh romeo and juliet Mm -hmm. okay and then i my next question i had for you was how was the curse resolved or undone so you said like true love's kiss for example or like in holes the like ancestor of the guy that was cursed had to like carry 
someone up a hill who was also the ancestor of the family that cursed them. Right. Yeah. Yes. Do you can you think of any other examples of like how to undo a curse? How to undo a curse? Well, I know there's this thing in Nacho Libre where I don't know if this is like 100% <laughs> what you were looking for, but in order for him to win this wrestling match, he has to like climb up the side of this cliff and get this golden eagle's egg and drink the the yolk out of it. But he does it and like nothing happens. <laughs> I haven't watched Nacho Libre and I'm so sad about it because everyone always tells me how good it is. I quoted my senior yearbook quote is a quote from that. That makes absolutely no sense. And it made no sense in the movie either. But it's get that corn out of my face. So it's like everyone's like, oh, like the memories we made here, like as we go on, we remember or like what a crazy ride it's been. Like everyone always quotes shit like that. And then mine's like, get that corn out of my face. Nacho Libre. <laughs> oh, my God. That's awesome. My senior year quote was was some lyric by the singer Juanes, but I don't remember what it is anymore. And oh. I remember it, it was like nonsensical as well. Like it really didn't have anything to do with graduating. Right. Love that. Oh, well. Love that yeah. for you and Juanes. Love that. <laughs> Love that for you, too. Okay, so so great examples, Natalia. So the concept of curses are present in nearly all cultures, all religions, and all folklore. Special names for specific kinds of curses can be found in various cultures. For example, African-American hoodoo presents us with the jinx, as well as a form of magic whereby cursed objects are laid in the path of victims and activated when walked over. Wait, a jinx Mid like you speak at the same time and it's a jinx? Uh, okay, so this is like kind of a tangent. But did you know that some people think that that is actually a conspiracy and that whole thing was started by Coca-Cola because it's like, Jinx, you owe me a Coke. Like some people think that it was like a conspiracy grassroots advertisement by Coca-Cola to like start like a um, uh, like almost like folklore or start like a cultural phenomenon that would make people buy, buy people more Coke. Coke? Wow. Yeah. What, a, what an iconic company. Yeah. Super iconic. They also basically invented Santa Claus, but that's for a different time. <laughs> Um, okay, Middle Eastern and Mediterranean culture is the source of the belief in the evil eye, which may be the result of envy, or more rarely uh, is said to be the result of a deliberate curse. In order to be protected from the evil eye, a protection item is made from dark blue circular glass with a circle of white around the black dot in the middle. And I'm actually mm. wearing an evil eye necklace right now. Yeah, I've seen that thing everywhere. Yeah. Also, German people, including the Pennsylvania Dutch, talk about hexing. And a common hex in the past was... Uh, said that a stable witch would cause milk cows to go dry and horses to go lame. So like back in the day in Pennsylvania Dutch, which is like Amish country and also in Germany, if a farmer's um, cow like went dry, like couldn't expel milk anymore, it was said that like a stable witch put a curse on your livestock. Mm. And you're going to love this, Natalia, because we just talked about cannibalism in the last oh, episode. That. There's even a medical condition known as the Kuru curse, which is an infection caused by cannibalism and does not involve any bacteria or viruses. This infection was formerly common among the Foray people of Papua New Guinea, and it is said to affect the violator and his or her descendants. Animals feasting on their own species can also be victims of the curse, such as cows eating other cows will get infected with mad cow disease. 
That's crazy. So it basically like is eliminating out of the gene pool any uh, one of the, you know, like cows or people that are eating their own kind. Right. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Actually, I never even thought of that. You're totally right. It's like nature's way of being like, hey, fucking don't do that. That's <laughs> weird. <laughs> Unnatural. <laughs> right. It's like, it's, I guess it's not technically wrong. Like there's nothing that says you can't, like you can't, but like don't do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's making everything a lot more complicated when you have to like look over your shoulder while you're sleeping. Exactly. Okay. So Natalia. Have yes. you ever heard, this is what our topic today is, have you ever heard of the Kennedy curse? Yeah, I have heard of that. What do you know about it? So basically, what I know from it is what I've heard from my parents is like, oh, all of the Kennedys um, died like mysterious deaths, right? So like we know famously the president, President Kennedy was assassinated, but I think one of his brothers died in like a skiing accident, playing football on skis or something and hit a tree. And then uh, I don't know what happened to the other ones, but I know that like supposedly there's a Kennedy curse. That's what we're talking about today is the Kennedy curse. Whoa. Yeah. And the Kennedy curse is really interesting because you're right. Like a lot of mysterious, unfortunate things have happened to members of the Kennedy family. And that's super interesting in and of itself. But I think the main interesting thing when I was researching this is like, but why? You know, like, mm. why are they cursed? What is the origin? And I found all of the hypotheses and so we're going to talk about that but first because we have a lot of people who listen to this podcast that aren't from the u.s some people might be listening to this and they might be like who the fuck is the kennedy family so first i'm just gonna like talk a little bit about who they are and why they're so important so the kennedy family is an american political family that has long been prominent in american politics public service entertainment and business they have been described as the closest thing to American royalty in a nation that prides itself in having shaken off a foreign monarch. Basically, all you need to know about the Kennedys is that anyone of importance in American culture is probably related to them either by blood or by marriage. For what? example, yeah, so many people. Like, for example, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, which we've been hearing a lot about during the coronavirus, he was married to a Kennedy for 15 years. Arnold Schwarzenegger was married to someone whose dad was married to a Kennedy. Marilyn Monroe famously had an affair with a Kennedy. Sarah Jessica Parker dated a Kennedy back when Sex in the City was the biggest show on TV. And Taylor Swift also dated a Kennedy, but only for a summer because that is her MO. Wait. Which Kennedy did she date? I didn't write it down. There are so many fucking Kennedys, and we're going to talk about a lot of them. Yeah, I want to uh, like, look them up. Like, I want to date one. I want to be part of the, the American royalty curse. And, Natalia, you already mentioned the most famous Kennedy, which is JFK, mm-hmm. uh, who was one of our presidents. Uh, so now I want to give some background on the Kennedy family so that we can talk about why Americans love them so much. Uh, Patrick Kennedy and his future wife, Bridget Murphy, immigrated in 1848 from Ireland to the United States, arriving in New York and marrying in 1849. And here's an excerpt from an ABC News article about the Kennedys and their Irish heritage, which I think really kind of explains why Americans are so obsessed with them. And this article says... The story of the Kennedy family is, of course, the classic Irish-American immigrant tale, if not indeed the classic American immigrant tale. As each generation of Kennedys was born, the family moved up in the world. Basically, like what I think it kind of summarizes how like why people love the Kennedy family so much is whatever you feel about 
modern America, something that I think kind of has held true throughout all generations of Americans is that Americans love an underdog story and they love a story of a successful immigrant, right? Right, that's the American dream. It's like supposedly you can come to this country with nothing and everyone's on an even even playing field and then you can work your way to the top and be successful and it doesn't matter where you came from or what you started with. Exactly, totally. So like whether or not you believe that's actually true, because I know like there's probably a lot of listeners that are listening to this and rolling their eyes, that's like really not important if it's true or not. What's true is that that's what people, that's what Americans fucking love. They love hearing about like, oh, this person came from nothing and now look at them. They're like, yeah, they're the president of the United States, right? Well, yeah, because I think in terms of like giving so when you find out that somebody didn't have any help at all it almost validates them more for what they were doing like if someone's a super successful business person and then you find out that they had no help you're like wow they really had to start from nothing and then like it makes you think that oh they must really actually be really really good at what they do because it didn't matter where how much money they started with they figured it out you know and it makes you think yeah I can do it help. too. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so that's basically why Americans are so obsessed with the Kennedy family is because they started from nothing and every generation after the first generation that immigrated got more and more and more successful. So going back to the beginning, Patrick Kennedy and his wife, Bridget Murphy, immigrate to the United States from Ireland. They marry in the U.S. and they move to Boston, Massachusetts, and they have five children, Mary, Joanna, John, Margaret, and Patrick Jr. John Kennedy, which is uh, the firstborn son, he dies at just one year old in 1855 of cholera. Hmm. Nine years after arriving in America and three years after his son John died, Patrick Sr. also dies of cholera. Hmm. Patrick Jr., also known as PJ, would become the only surviving male of his family following the deaths of his father and brother. He started working at age 14 as a stevedore, which is a guy who loads and unloads cargo from ships, and eventually worked his way up to become a successful businessman, later owning three saloons and a whiskey import house. Whoa. Eventually, he had major interests in coal and banking as well. Kennedy was a major figure in the Democratic Party in Boston. Though he served in both the Massachusetts House of Representatives and the state Senate, he preferred to play a behind-the-scenes role as a party boss. According to Wikipedia, Kennedy was always ready to help less fortunate fellow Irishmen with a little cash and some sensible advice. He enjoyed the approval and respect of most folks in East Boston, living on the hill of a mixed Boston neighborhood of upscale Irish and Protestant elite. A sociable man able to mix comfortably with both the Catholic and the Protestant elite, he moved successfully into politics. Beginning in 1884, he converted his popularity into five consecutive one-year terms in the Massachusetts House of Representatives, followed by three two-year terms in the Massachusetts Senate. Establishing himself as one of Boston's principal Democratic leaders, he gave one of the seconding speeches for Grover Cleveland at the party's 1888 National Convention in St. Louis. 
However, he found campaigning, speechmaking, and legislative maneuvering to be less appealing than the behind-the-scenes that characterized so much of Boston's politics in the late 19th and early 20th century. After leaving the Senate in 1895, Kennedy spent his political career as an appointed elections commissioner, an appointed fire commissioner, as the backroom boss of Boston's Ward 2, and as a member of his party's unofficial board of strategy. So PJ, pretty pretty important guy. Yeah. Um, and he... He marries a lady called Mary Augusta Hickey, who was also the daughter of Irish immigrants in 1887. Together, PJ and Mary had four children, Joseph Patrick Kennedy, Francis Benedict Kennedy, Mary Loretta Kennedy, and Margaret Louise Kennedy. Their son, Joseph Patrick Kennedy, would go on to marry Rose Elizabeth Fitzgerald. And this is important because Rose Elizabeth Fitzgerald, who would later become Rose Kennedy when she marries the Kennedy, is the eldest child of a guy called John Honeyfitz Fitzgerald, and he was a prominent figure in Boston politics who served one term as a congressional representative and later became Boston's mayor. Rose Kennedy grew up in the spotlight, accompanying her father to various partisan functions while she was still a teenager. After graduating from high school at the age of 16, she wanted to attend the prestigious Wellesley College, but was sent by her parents to Boston's Convent of the Sacred Heart. She later studied French and German at a convent school in the Netherlands. Upon her return to the States, Rose fell for a saloon keeper's son named Joseph P. Kennedy. Although her father respected the young man's ambition, Joe Kennedy became the youngest bank president in U.S. history. Rose's dad never liked the young businessman because he was new money and disapproved of the relationship. Nevertheless, Rose continued dating Kennedy against her father's wishes, and in 1914, the couple was married. They had nine children during their 55-year-long marriage. I know, it's so many. I see your face right now, Natalia. Nine kids. I feel like that's just olden times. Like, people had so many kids because birth control wasn't really a thing. Yeah, and you're not sure how many of them will make it. Well, also, yeah, I know, like, a huge part of being Catholic in the old times was, like, you don't use birth control. So Right. I don't and Irish was mostly, Irish people were mostly Catholic. Side note, does pulling out count as birth control? No, because you will get pregnant at some point. But I if mean, you like, do it enough. if in their minds, were they like, oh, if we're having sex and the man oh, I see what you're saying. pulls out, is that is that like wrong oh. in the eyes of God? If you're Catholic, can you please weigh in right now and tell me, if you're does pulling 18- out count as birth control? If you're an 1800s Catholic, <laughs> can you please tell us whether or not please tell us. that, because that would clear up a lot for me. Yeah, that would make me know if I'm sinning or not. <laughs> um, okay, so so Joe Kennedy became a multimillionaire financier after he marries Rose Kennedy. Um, he attracts considerable attention with his sometimes questionable business dealings. He is said to have dabbled in bootlegging and philandering, which we'll talk about later. Okay. So their nine children are super important. And this is basically all that we're going to be talking about this episode. So I'm going to name the nine children and tell you like a little bit about who they are. Joseph Kennedy Jr., who would go on to study at Harvard and become a lieutenant in the United States Navy during World World War II. John F. Kennedy, who would become the 35th president of the United States of America. Kathleen Kennedy, who would go on to marry William Cavendish, the Marchess of Hardington, the powerful 10th Duke of Devonshire's son. 
Eunice Kennedy, who would go on to found the Special Olympics, Patricia Kennedy, who was considered the most beautiful Kennedy daughter and would go on to marry actor Peter Lawford, who starred in movies alongside big names like Frank Sinatra, Fred Astaire, Elizabeth Taylor, and Judy Garland. Peter Lawford was also a member of Frank Sinatra's famous Rat Pack. Robert Francis Kennedy, who would go on to become the 64th United States Attorney General. Jean Kennedy, who would go on to become the United States Ambassador to Ireland. She would also go on to found Very Special Arts, an internationally recognized nonprofit dedicated to creating a society where people with disabilities can engage with the arts. In 2011, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian honor in the United States, by President Barack Obama for her work with the VSA and with people with disabilities. Then there's Edward Ted Kennedy, who would go on to become a U.S. Senator from Massachusetts. And the ninth child is Rosemary Kennedy, who we're going to talk about later, so please remember her name. Okay, so, so far, all nine kids, like, this sounds like a pretty blessed, successful family, right? And like you said earlier, it kind of sounds like the American dream, right? Yeah, like, it. most of them, well, they all had success, and they're not all the same either. It wasn't like all of them were businessmen or politicians. Some of them just happened to marry people who were super successful or were, had, like, creative goals, things like that. But they seem like they're all, like, very accomplished in their own ways. Exactly. Um, but it is with this generation of successful Kennedys that something known as the Kennedy Curse begins. So remember I said uh, Rosemary Kennedy and that I was going to talk about her in a second? Yes. Uh, She seems to be the person that kicks off this curse. So Rosemary or Rosemary Kennedy began to experience seizures and violent mood swings in her early adult years. However, some historians say that her family greatly exaggerated Rosemary's issues and that she may have just been dyslexic and boy crazy. Her occasionally erratic behavior frustrated her parents. Her father was especially worried that Rosemary's behavior would shame and embarrass the family and damage his and his children's political careers. In response to this issue, her father decided to have her lobotomized in 1941 when she was just 23 years old. Wait a second. What what was she doing that was like, so I have to know, like, what was she doing that made them people say maybe she was just boy crazy? Okay, so, well, it's hard to say because most of the stuff we know about her comes from her family, but obviously her family is going to say that she was, like, worse than she actually was because they're trying to justify why they lobotomized her, right? So that's why some sources say that, like, this is the early 1900s. There weren't a lot of resources for people with special needs or people with different learning abilities. And so some people say, like, no, she was just really frustrated because at school in a one-size-fits-all type of thing she was she would try to do the schoolwork but it was really hard for her because she may or may not have yeah may or may not have been dyslexic like Mm -hmm. may or may not have just been like a little slower than some of the other kids um and then i read a story about how she was sent away to a boarding school and she would sneak out at night to maybe go like hang out with boys but that's normal for teenagers right if you're like away at an all-girl boarding school wouldn't of course you're gonna want to like go out and like hang out with boys yeah um but that like scandalized her family and so they were like oh my god what are we gonna do with rosemary she's like out of control 
So her dad apparently did not include anyone else in the decision of lobotomization. He didn't even tell his wife until after the procedure was completed. He um, got her diagnosed as mentally retarded, quote unquote. And so by doing that, only his consent was necessary in order to have a lobotomy performed. And the procedure took place in November of 1941. James W. Watts, who carried out the procedure with Walter Freeman, both were doctors at George Washington University School of Medicine, described the procedure as follows, quote, We went through the top of the head. I think Rosemary was awake. She had a mild tranquilizer. I made a surgical incision in the brain through the skull. It was near the front. It was on both sides. We just made a small incision, no more than an inch. The instrument Dr. Watts used looked like a butter knife. He swung it up and down to cut the brain tissue. We put an instrument inside, he said. As Dr. Watts cut, Dr. Freeman asked Rosemary some questions. For example, he asked her to recite the Lord's Prayer or sing God Bless America or count backward. We made an estimate on how far to cut based on how she responded. When Rosemary began to become incoherent, they stopped cutting her brain. What? It quickly became apparent that the procedure had, quote, not been successful. Her mental capacity diminished to that of a two-year-old. She could no longer walk or speak intelligibly and was incontinent after the lobotomy isn't that so sad so after the lobotomy uh, rosemary was immediately institutionalized she initially lived for several years at craig house a private psychiatric hospital and in 1949 she was relocated to wisconsin where she lived for the rest of her life on the grounds of the saint coletta institute for backward youth In response to her condition, Rosemary's parents separated her from her family. Her mother, Rose Kennedy, did not visit her for 20 years, and her father, Joseph Kennedy, did not visit his daughter at all. In Rosemary, the Hidden Kennedy Daughter, author Kate Clifford Larson states that Rosemary's lobotomy was hidden from the entire family for 20 years. While her older brother John was campaigning for re-election for the Senate in 1958, the Kennedy family explained away her absence by claiming that she was simply reclusive. The Kennedy family did not publicly explain her absence until 1961, after John F. Kennedy had been elected president. The Kennedys did not reveal that she was institutionalized because of a failed lobotomy, but instead said that she was deemed, quote, mentally retarded. In 1961, after Joseph P. Kennedy Sr. suffered a stroke that left him unable to speak, Rosemary's siblings were finally made aware of her location. Her lobotomy did not become public knowledge until 1987. So basically, her she she may have had some like learning disabilities, but that that's okay. Lots of people have. You yeah, know, but what you were can... saying about the about the surgery, basically, they botched this surgery on her. That you know, if she was able to count backwards and recite the Lord's prayer and do all of those things, and then she became unable to walk or speak, like yeah, they totally just gave her a brain injury that she couldn't recover from. Exactly. And that's why lobotomies are illegal now, because as we now know, yeah, they don't actually help anybody. Wait, no, but this case was what made them illegal? No, this is no. Good question. No, but um, But yeah, shortly thereafter. Yeah. Yeah. They became illegal. They're fucked up. We've talked about that before on this podcast in the Annalise Mikkel episode. I think Mm -hmm. we talked about that. But yeah, I mean, 
That's also like, how is that even a procedure where they're like, well, we're going to be just cutting through the brain back and forth. And then when she can't speak anymore, we'll stop. Like, what did they think was going to happen? She would, she would just, you know, start counting slower or like seem more obedient and then they would stop. I don't get it. Exactly. And also like, it's, I mean, of course, I think, you know, everyone knows this is super fucked up no matter what the reason is, but it's especially fucked up that her dad was just like, oh, she's trying to run out and sneak off with boys. And that might like put shame on the family because we're all trying to run for different offices in politics. So let's just like fuck her brain up so that she can't do that anymore. Yeah. I mean, if she was able to be sneaking out and seeing boys, obviously that's conjecture because we don't know 100%. But if we were to assume that that was true, just for the sake of the argument, Argument, then she definitely had the capacity to have a social life and to be able yeah. to make decisions on her own and sneaking out is not easy I've done it many times I'll tell you it takes yeah. a lot of planning <laughs> so right yeah they totally they fuck man they fuck they did her dirty well and also one of the things I was reading was that basically he this is this is someone else's opinion. Like I said, we don't really know because all of the sources are going to be biased, either if they're by the Kennedy family or by somebody else. But one of the articles I read said that because she had tested for a low IQ, her dad was really embarrassed and was like, basically, this is my one unsuccessful right. offspring. Like, we need to, like, put her away. Right. Because she was a black sheep, maybe. Yeah, exactly. That's why I won't take an IQ test. Yeah, I won't take one either. Fuck that. Actually, I did take one, but that's not important. Okay. <laughs> I'll never take an IQ test or a personality test. Like, I don't believe it. Also, my personality changes based on how I'm feeling. So I, I feel like, what's the point? Okay, so after Rosemary's lobotomy in 1941, more tragedy strikes the Kennedy family. Yeah, World War II is starting right around then. Yeah, like all kinds of shit's going down in the world. And of course, the Kennedys, because they're a prominent family, are going to be involved in that shit. So on August 12th, 1944, Joseph P. Kennedy Jr. dies when the aircraft he was piloting explodes over England. His remains were never recovered. One month later, another tragedy struck when Kathleen Kennedy's husband, William Cavendish, the Marchess of Hardington, was killed in action in Belgium on September 9th, 1944. Four years later, Kathleen herself dies in a plane crash in France on May 13th, 1948. Two years after Kathleen's death, Robert Kennedy, her brother, marries Ethel Skakel in 1950. In 1953, John F. Kennedy marries Jacqueline Onassis. In 1955, Ethel Skakel's parents die in a plane crash in Oklahoma. The same year, John F. Kennedy and his wife Jacqueline suffer a miscarriage. The next year, in 1956, John F. Kennedy and his wife suffer a stillbirth. On January 20th, 1961, John F. Kennedy takes office as the 35th President of the United States. Eleven months later, on December 19th, 1961, Joseph P. Kennedy Sr. suffers a massive stroke with left, which left him paralyzed on his right side. He also struggled with aphasia, which severely affected his, his ability to speak. Two years after Joseph Sr.'s stroke, his son John F. Kennedy and his wife Jacqueline give birth to a son, Patrick Bouvier Kennedy. Two days later, this son dies of infant respiratory distress syndrome. 
Just a few short months later, on November 22, 1963, John F. Kennedy is assassinated in Dallas, Texas by Lee Harvey Oswald. A year later, on June 19, 1964, John F. Kennedy's brother, U.S. Senator Ted Kennedy, survives a plane crash that killed one of his aides as well as the pilot. The small plane crashed in an apple orchard near Southampton, Massachusetts. The only reason why Ted survived was because he was pulled from the wreckage by a passenger and fellow Senator Birch Bay. Kennedy spent five months in a hospital recovering from a broken back, a punctured lung, broken ribs, and internal bleeding. Following the crash, his brother Bobby Kennedy remarked to one of his aides named Ed, somebody up there doesn't like us. The next year, following the plane crash, Ted's brother Robert F. Kennedy is elected to the United States Senate in January 1965. Robert begins making plans to run for president of the United States as a Democrat. Three years later, on June 5, 1968, on the night of his victory in the California Democratic presidential primary, Robert Kennedy is shot by Sirhan Sirhan in the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. He dies the following morning. Also of interest, the night before this event, Robert had rescued his son David from almost drowning in the Pacific Ocean. The following year, on July 18, 1969, Robert's brother Ted Kennedy accidentally drove his car off of a bridge on Chappaquiddick Island, Massachusetts, resulting in the drowning death of a 28-year-old passenger, Mary Jo Kopechny. In his televised statement a week later, the senator said that on the night of the incident, he wondered, quote, whether some awful curse did actually hang over all of the Kennedys. And this incident sounds tragic enough if we leave it at that, but it's actually even worse than it sounds, Natalia. Okay, let me tell you what happened that night. On July 18, 1969, Mary Jo Kopechny attended a party on Chappaquiddick Island off the east coast of Martha, Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. The celebration was in honor of the dedicated work of the Boiler Room Girls and was the fourth such reunion of the Robert F. Kennedy campaign workers. Robert's brother, Senator Ted Kennedy, was there. Kopechny did not know him well. Kopechny reportedly left the party with Kennedy at 11.15 p.m., according to his account. He had offered to drive her to catch the last ferry back to Edgartown, where she was staying. She did not tell her close friends at the party that she was leaving, and she left behind her purse, keys, and all of her personal belongings before getting into Kennedy's car. No, no, there's something weird with that. No one would ever do that. No woman, I don't care how drunk you are, no woman does that. There's something weird going on there. Right? Kennedy drove his 1967 Oldsmobile Delmont 88 off of a narrow, unlit bridge, which lacked guardrails and which was not on the way to Edgartown, where he said he was going to drop her off at her hotel. The vehicle landed... That sounds like a planned murder. Right? The vehicle landed on its roof in Pucha Pond. Kennedy extricated himself from the vehicle and survived, but neglected to call 911. Assistant medical examiner Donald Mills signed a death certificate listing Mary Jo's cause of death as accidental drowning, and a private funeral for her was held in Pennsylvania on July 22, 1969. The service was attended by Kennedy, his wife, Joan, that's right, he was married, his sister-in-law, Ethel, and hundreds of onlookers. Kopechny was so later- he was having an affair? Mm, that's, I mean, that's, it seems pretty fishy to be a married man driving someone, a single woman- From a party. From a party. 
Um, the exact time and cause of death of Kopechny's death is not positively known due to conflicting witness testimony and also because, for some reason, the medical examiner did not perform an autopsy. And rumors have swirled that probably he didn't perform the autopsy because he was paid off by someone, question mark? I don't know. Yeah, or he's afraid of the family. Right, because they're such a powerful family. Yeah. Ted Kennedy claimed that the accident occurred shortly after he left the party at 11.15 p.m. on July 18th but part-time deputy sheriff Christopher Huck Look testified that he saw Kennedy's car with Kopechny and Kennedy inside of it around 12.40 a.m. on July 19th. John Farr, the fire rescue captain who retrieved Mary Jo's body on July 19th, testified he believed that Kopechny stayed alive for up to half an hour under the water in an air pocket in the car and ultimately suffocated in the submerged vehicle. So basically, if he had just called 911, she would probably still be alive. Well, okay, if I know any about this which I feel like I might have some insight because I'm from Oklahoma and people drink and drive there all the time and anytime someone doesn't call 911 after an accident it's because they don't want to they don't want to be tested for they don't want they don't want to because they were drinking so usually what happens is there will be a crash that person who was driving if they survive will run away and then the passenger died and then everyone's like why didn't you call the ambulance why didn't you call the police and they're they have some bullshit story about like oh well i was looking for help or something or no 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 i don't know what happened or i woke up and everything was bad and it's because they were drinking and driving yeah so i mean of course he says he wasn't but here's the thing he left a party with another party goer crashed Mm -hmm. his car she drowns he leaves and doesn't call the cops like those are the facts right well yeah well maybe i mean the fact that she left her stuff all behind is super fishy it makes me wonder if actually something else happens to her i don't know like maybe just let's go wild here maybe they were like dipping in some party drugs and she died or something and he was like oh shit what do i do and then he just like leaves all of her stuff there and it's like i gotta get rid of this body and then it's like well i'll just drive it off this cliff and she might have already been dead in there i don't know yeah you never know that's fishy there's some weird stuff going on there well like there was no autopsy performed so we'll just never know exactly what happened to her you're right and there have been like a bunch of movies and books about that include this incident in them and a lot of people speculate that Mary Jo told a friend that she was pregnant right around the time that she was killed. So was Ted Kennedy having an affair with her? And then she told him at the party, hey, I'm pregnant. And then he flipped out because like you said, why does she leave all of her stuff there? I don't care how drunk you are. As a woman, like, yeah, I've lost my phone before when I'm really drunk, but I've never lost my phone, my keys, my purse, everything. Like your drunk brain remembers some of this stuff. Well, you just, and especially that time, you wouldn't have lost any of those things because that that's your whole life there, right? Like, it would right. take, a, you know, a long time to be able to get the stuff back in your purse. You can't just, like, cancel your credit card there. You have to talk, you have to wait till office hours, call someone, get your, you know, you don't even have credit cards. Like, your key, like, there's just, everything took longer there. So, like, people would not have lo- left their lifeline behind. Like I that agree with you. Yeah, it's very fishy. Okay, so all of that happened in 1969, right? About four years later, on August 13, 1973, Robert F. Kennedy's son, Joe Kennedy, was driving 
driving his Jeep with his brother David and David's girlfriend Pam when he flipped his Jeep. This accident fractured one of David Kennedy's vertebrae and permanently paralyzed David's girlfriend Pam Kelly. The police cited Joe Kennedy with reckless driving, and the judge temporarily suspended his driver's license. The Kennedy family paid for Pam's initial medical treatment and her continued care for a few years following the accident. However, I just want to say David broke up with Pam after she became paralyzed. How long did he wait? Uh, It doesn't say. All I know is that they broke up, and that's, like, fucked up to me. That's super fucked up. I mean, obviously, like... If it didn't work out, it didn't work out, whether they're par- she's paralyzed right, or not. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like that's the case. Yeah, it also just doesn't sound good. Like, uh, hey, my brother flipped his car and paralyzed you for life. By the way, we're breaking up. Um, okay, yeah. th- at the very least, like, shitty timing. Should have broken up with her long before then. And that's why, you guys, here's some life advice from Let's Get Haunted. If you want to break up with someone, do it sooner rather than later. Otherwise, it's just more opportunity for that person's life to become fucked up. And then you look like the bad guy for breaking up with them when their life isn't going well. So just do it as soon as you know that you want to break up with them. Right. Like, if you're not sure about someone and they literally are at the top of their game, end it then. Because yes. Because then you, you look really good. Yeah. Like, you know, like people will know that you broke up with them for good reasons. Irreconcilable differences. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, three months after this accident in November of 1973, Ted Kennedy's son, Edward Jr., was diagnosed with bone cancer and had to get his right leg amputated at age 12. Nine years later, at age 21 in 1982, Edward Jr. was late to the airport and missed his flight by just 10 minutes. This flight was Air Florida 90, which crashed into the Potomac River on January 13th of that year, killing all 74 people on board. Kennedy was delayed on the drive to the airport and missed his flight by just 10 minutes. Two years later... These people need to stop flying. Yeah, like, just fucking take a hint. learn their lesson? Right? Take yeah. a hint from the universe. Two years later, on April 19th, 1984, David Kennedy, the son of Robert Kennedy, who almost drowned the night before his dad was assassinated, remember him? Yeah. He checked into room 107 of the Brazilian Court Hotel and spent the next few days partying. On April 25th, staff went to check on his welfare at the insistence of concerned family members, where he was found dead on the floor of his suite from an overdose of cocaine, Demerol, which is an opioid, and Melaril, which is an antipsychotic that treats psychosis. Then, remember Jean Kennedy, the Kennedy daughter that received the Presidential Medal of Honor in 2011 from Obama? Yeah. Okay. Well, on April 1st, 1991, her son, William Kennedy Smith, was arrested and charged with the rape of a young woman at the Kennedy estate in Palm Beach, Florida. The subsequent trial attracted extensive media coverage. Smith was eventually acquitted. The incident began on the evening of Good Friday, March 29, 1991, when Smith, then 30 years old, was in a bar in Palm Beach, Florida with his uncle, Senator Ted Kennedy, and his cousin, Patrick J. Kennedy. There, Smith met Patricia Bowman, a 29-year-old woman, and another young woman at the bar. According to police affidavit by investigating police officers who interviewed Bowman, Smith asked for a ride to a nearby house owned by the Kennedy family. Smith and Bowman then walked along the beach. Bowman told police that Smith then violently raped her. At about at about 4 a.m., she called two friends who retrieved her from the Kennedy compound and took her first to their home and then to her own home, where Bowman called a rape crisis center. A few hours later, she reported the incident to police and was taken to a hospital for a rape kit examination, which documented sperm in her vagina, complaints of severe pain, and bruising. At trial, Smith said that he and Bowman had engaged in sex, but that it had been consensual. 
although three women, including a law student and a medical student, were willing to testify that Smith had sexually assaulted them in incidents in the 1980s that were not reported to the police, their testimony was excluded on the grounds that the pattern of behavior reported was not similar enough to the rape of Bowman to be included in her rape trial. Therefore, Smith was acquitted of all charges. Six years after this incident, on December 31st, 1997, Robert F. Kennedy's son, Michael, dies in a skiing accident in Aspen, Colorado, when he hits a tree while playing catch with a football while skiing down a mountain. Two years later, on July 16, 1999, John F. Kennedy Jr. dies when the plane he was piloting on the way to his cousin's wedding crashes into the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. The crash was attributed to pilot error and spatial disorientation during a nighttime descent over water. His wife Carolyn and sister-in-law Lauren were also on board the plane and also died. Three years later, in 2002, Ted Kennedy's daughter Kara Kennedy is diagnosed with lung cancer. Initially told the disease was inoperable, she found, with her father's help, a surgeon at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston who was willing to remove part of her right lung in an effort to save her life. The operation was successful. Two years later, do you remember William Kennedy, that guy that was accused and acquitted of rape? Yeah. Well, in 2004, a former employee of the Center for International Rehabilitation alleged that Smith had sexually assaulted her in 1999 and brought a civil action against him. Smith denied the charges, calling them outrageous and saying that family and personal history have made me unusually vulnerable to these kinds of charges. Smith later resigned from his position with the CIR. A spokesman for the organization later acknowledged that two separate federal sexual harassment claims against Smith by former female employees had been settled amicably. On January 5th, 2005, the court dismissed the employee's lawsuit, probably because it was settled. Five years later, on May 12th, 2010, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. files for divorce from his wife, Mary. Three days later, she's arrested and charged with driving under the influence. One year later, on September 16, 2011, Kara Kennedy, the daughter of Ted Kennedy, who survived lung cancer, dies at the, of a heart attack at age 51 while exercising in Washington, D.C. The next year, on May 16, 2012, Mary Richardson Kennedy, the estranged wife of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who was arrested for DUI, commits suicide on the grounds of her home in Bedford, Westchester County, New York. Her death was ruled as suicide by hanging. An autopsy report revealed that she had antidepressants in her blood system. Seven years later, on August 1st, 2019, Cersei Roeson Kennedy Hill died of an accidental drug overdose at the Kennedy compound in Hyannisport, Massachusetts on Cape Cod. Cersei was the granddaughter of Robert F. Kennedy. And this year, Natalia, last month on April 2nd, 2020, Robert F. Kennedy's other granddaughter, Maeve Kennedy Townsend McKean, and her eight-year-old son Gideon went missing during a canoe trip in the Chesapeake Bay. McKean's body was found on April 6th, and her son Gideon's body was found on April 8th. Okay, so that's a lot of death. Shit. Right? Yeah, no, they for sure have a curse on them. And also, quit flying. I don't understand. Yeah. Why they keep flying. Stop flying. Stop boating. Stop do. Stop having affairs. Like, you're going to die. Yeah, well, it seems like their core, their curse is, like, slow down, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, quit flying, quit driving, quit, you know, living fast. Like, just fucking chill for a second. Right, like, chill. The universe is telling them to chill out, and they're not chilling out. 
No, they're going even harder. They're like, oh, I missed my plane that crashed? <laughs> okay, I'll find a faster pilot. Yeah, right? I'll find a private plane that's for sure going to crash. So, okay, so now I want to talk about the origin, like what people speculate about why they're cursed. So this is yeah, theory. Why? Yeah, this is where it gets interesting. So this is theory number one. Natalia, have you ever heard of the potato famine? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So for those who are unfamiliar, the Irish potato famine occurred in Ireland between 1845 and 1849 when potato crop failures were caused by a disease called late blight. Late blight is caused by the water mold Phytophthora infestans and occurs when weather is humid. This mold essentially causes the potato to rot from the inside out. The disease can be managed by applying fungicide, but if you don't catch it in time and spray it, the disease can easily and quickly spread throughout entire fields, causing an epidemic. In 1800s Ireland, nearly half of Ireland's population relied almost exclusively on potatoes for their diet because the plant was hardy, nutritious, calorie-dense, and easy to grow in Irish soil. The Irish relied on only one or two varieties of potato, which meant there wasn't much genetic variety in the plants. In 1845, a strain of water mold accidentally arrived in Ireland from North America and thrived in the unusually cool, moist weather that year. The new strain of mold, combined with the unusually moist weather, combined with a lack of genetic diversity in Ireland's potato supply, combined with the fact that around 50% of Ireland's population relied solely on potatoes to survive, created a giant recipe for disaster. The result was that about 1 million people died from starvation or famine-related diseases such as typhus. Another 2 million Irish immigrated to other countries to escape the famine. All right, so how does this tie into the Kennedy curse, you're probably wondering. Did they escape the famine and they brought something with them? So you're so close. This theory comes from eastcoaststories.com. And like I said, around 2 million Irish immigrated to other countries to escape the famine, the main country being the United States. Irish families were doing everything in their power to get themselves and their loved ones out of Ireland and into the U.S. in an attempt to avoid a certain fate of death by starvation in their homeland. The biggest problem was that most Irish were poor and did not even have enough money to pay for a ticket to America. The Irish came up with an ingenious solution. The people of a particular town or village would pool all of their money together and give it to one family to go to America. There would be enough money for the family to buy tickets and find lodging in the United States. In return for this initial gift, that first family had to make a binding pledge. The pledge was that when the family settled in America, it would send back to Ireland half of its earnings each month forever. The wages Are you going to tell me they fucking didn't send any money back? They got sent over there and they didn't send any money back? <gasps> so the wages, the yes, but I want to tell you, let me tell you what this article says. The wages the first family sent back to Ireland would then be used to buy tickets to America for the second family. Then there would be two families sending money back to Ireland each month. Then three, then four, and so on. This scheme so actually- So it was like a pyramid scheme to send to people like save to people. America. Yeah. So this right. and the and then scheme until they could all be saved. Right. So the scheme actually but it's worked. Like dependent on the first. It's dependent on the person before you sending money back. Yes, exactly. OK, exactly. So these villages 
some some villages in Ireland, this actually worked. And small towns were able to eventually get 100% of their population over to America. Um, over the course of 10 years, almost 2 million Irish came to America. Of course, the success of any one town all depends, like you said, on the success and honesty of that first family. If that first family did not send any money back, there would be no funds left to send a second family or a third or a fourth, so on. Right. Well, according to this theory, in 18 49, the people of New Ross, Ireland selected Patrick Kennedy and his wife, Bridget Murphy Kennedy, to be the lucky ones to make the trip to the United States. Patrick Kennedy was a skilled cooper, which is a barrel maker, a craft that was in demand in America. The Kennedy's family sailed to Boston, where Patrick did find work and the Kennedy family thrived. Of course, everyone knows that the descendants of, of Patrick and Bridget went on to become the most famous political family in American history. What is lesser known is that Patrick and Bridget broke their pledge to the people of New Ross, Ireland. The Kennedys never sent one penny back to Ireland. Days, weeks, and finally years went by and the people of New Ross never got the money they were promised and scores of families in the town perished of starvation. <gasps> The people of how New Ross. How could they do that? Like, like knowing that too. Like, how could you do it? What was their reasoning? You think they were just like, oh fuck them? They don't, they don't do anything for us anyways. Like, oh, they are a bunch of assholes. Like that. You, you couldn't just be that evil, right? Like, you would have to have some sort of reasoning. I mean, you would think. I mean, I do want to say that, like this is a theory right so i don't know if this actually happened or not but this is a theory that's published online on like it's an article um and so it's not confirmed that they actually did that well none of these theories are actually confirmed because it's about an origin of a curse right but that's basically like this person that wrote this article says that this happened but i but they they so we don't know for a fact if they were one of those families that got sent over there. Well, basically what I'm saying is that I after researching this, I'm like scared of this family and I don't want to be like sued for libel or slander or whatever. So I'm just right. saying that this is what is published online. I did not independently verify whether or not this happened. I was not born in the 1800s in Ireland. But OK, I'm scared. I know it's some. Something bad's going to happen. I know. Okay, so the people of New Ross in this legend or theory did not forgive or forget. A group of people in New Ross held a secret ceremony with rituals that dated back hundreds of years before Christianity had come to Ireland. They put a curse on Patrick and Bridget Kennedy and all of their descendants for all time. Okay, so that's theory number one. Theory number two. This theory comes from SpareChangeNews.net in an article titled The Origin of the Kennedy Curse by Tom Prindeville. Okay. According to Connemara legend, Connemara is a region in County Galway, Ireland, Thomas Fitzgerald, who was JFK's great-grandfather on his mother Rose's side, interfered with a cursed treasure trove in the 1840s and used the proceeds to set himself up in business in America. So theory number one has to do with the Kennedy side of the family. Theory number two has to do with um, JFK's mom, Rose Fitzgerald, her side of the family that was also in Ireland. Okay. Okay. So her family in Ireland, her great, um, so JFK's great grandfather, the story begins in 1842, a terrible period when the roads of Ireland were clogged with starving refugees and ruthless absentee landowners and their agents who thought nothing of turning people out onto the road. Nowhere was life more grim than the tiny village of Orid in County Galway, a once thriving place whose name literally means the Golden Village. In this tiny village, Thomas Honey Fitz Fitzgerald is said to have made his fortune when he discovered a hoard of treasure. 
in modern I, wait what you're gonna love this because it's buried treasure story so the modern day village of Orid is on the edge of Orid Lake, which is four miles from Mom Cross, surrounded by mountains and nestling in the center of Connemara in a hilly lake land with scarcely a tree standing. It is hard to imagine a more beautiful place on earth, home to a handful of Gaelic speakers, or it is so remote that it was the last place in Ireland to be electrified, the first light bulb having only arrived in 1980. Well, that's cursed on its own. Yeah, like, right. You what? didn't even have electricity <laughs> until very recently. Until the yeah. <laughs> Dotted here and there are the modern homes of the last few remaining inhabitants who keep the stories of the past a well-guarded secret. Orid landowner and farmer William McGuire is not so reticent and is keen to tell the extraordinary story of Thomas Honey Fitz Fitzgerald before it is forgotten forever. It really is an extraordinary story, explains McGuire. Thomas Fitzgerald, or Honey Fitz as he was known, was from Loch Gour, County Limerick. The story is that he dreamt of this vision of gold buried in a place surrounded by mountains and lakes. And on his travels over the years, he searched for the place many times. He used to be going to fairs around the country asking about it to no avail. Then one day at a fair in Galway City, he met an O'Malley man at the old bridge spanning the Carib. They got talking and Thomas Fitzgerald told him about his vision. Unbeknownst to him, what was being described was the Mom Turks and the Twelve Bins mountain range. O'Malley was from that part of the country and was a native of Orid, so he recognized that the place Fitzgerald was describing was Orid, which means Golden Village. O'Malley knew the legend of the gold, but he did not know where it was buried. Intrigued, Thomas Honey Fitz Fitzgerald later settled in the village of Orid, where he became a traveling herdsman for the local landlords, the St. George Barige family. Once he settled in, he befriended everyone for miles around and set out on a quest to find the buried treasure, which was quite literally a, quote, crock of gold. One night in 1838, <laughs> he and a group of neighbors came upon a dying woman on the road. They came upon an old traveling woman on the road, and she was dying, so they put her down by the fire for the night in a herdsman's house owned by the St. George Barrage family landlords. Does this stuff just, like, happen? Like, you meet, like, a person that's dying, and you're in, they have no friends or family, and you're like, don't worry, we're going to put you in a, in a comfortable place for you to die. All right. We'll we'll see you another time. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Right. I'm 1800s was a wild fucking time if we've learned anything from this podcast. So, uh when the woman recovered the next morning, so she didn't die. She recovered thanks to their help. Um, and when she woke up, oh. she, she examined the big black pot hanging in the hearth. It had Ogham writing on it and she could read it. And it said, the other side of the tree is just as good. To the people of the household, it was a cryptic message about the location of Orid's crock of gold, but not to Thomas Fitzgerald. He knew all about the ancient pot hanging in the hearth's fireside hearth and more importantly where it came from fitzgerald had found a similar pot already it was a big black pot for cooking in so that is how he knew where to dig the treasure was buried under an old hawthorn tree fitzgerald dug around the tree and found a hoard of gold coins and shared it with the o'malley's and it was from the gold that he got the nickname honey fitz however the gold coins were supposed to be very unlucky and people were afraid to touch them however some did it was said afterwards that there was terrible bad luck for any family that took the gold. They had terrible misfortunes afterwards. There's a further twist to the story. The newfound wealth of Fitzgerald O'Malley and the other neighbors who shared the bounty didn't last long. It was said that the gold coins brought down terrible luck on the entire village, starting with O'Malley's own wife who poisoned herself and died shortly after touching the gold coins. 
There were 40 houses before the famine, which were mostly hovels and a landlord's house, says William McGuire. Then on the night of the big wind in 1839, all the houses were blown down. The whole village was later wiped out in the famine and Oren went from 40 houses to one. There are only four houses now which were built in more recent times. That money took Fitzgerald and several other local people to America and it took all the bad luck out of Orid, but it went with them. This was the story of Orid. He later became very successful, but they say that the bad luck that followed the Kennedys stems from this gold. I 100% believe that. Well, okay, like, it's obvious that their family has a curse. Like, there's no doubt about right. it. Right. You know, like, like that's not even... I The conspiracy is not that they have a curse or not. It's like, where did it start from? Right. So... I am going to believe that they took the gold and it's hard for me to do that because I'm like, I like the idea of gold. I like the idea of gold because it's like left by someone for someone else. But that's usually not the case. If we've learned anything about like treasure, it's usually some greedy person who like for some reason was like, I'll bury all this shit right here and come back for it later. And then, and they, then they didn't. Yeah. And, and then they die normally. Yeah. Yeah. And then like their greediness and like, obsession with the money is like or the gold is transferred onto that and everyone else becomes obsessed with it so i kind of believe that yeah I, I think so too i think it's a good theory all right so that was theory number two now theory number three natalia and this is like a very simple theory and it's literally just karma this theory suggests that perhaps the current Kennedy family is paying for whatever their family did in the past, or that because they've done a lot of shitty things, all of that is coming back around to bite them in the ass. For example, what are some shitty things we've talked about so far? Sexual assault. Uh, the lobotomy. Yeah, lobotomy. Manslaughter. Well, like <laughs> Manslaughter. Possible rape. Possible affairs affairs possible money laundering i mean they said it's his like uncle or wait no the yeah like bootlegging yeah yeah possibly bootlegging possibly bribery like especially i feel like when you get to that level in politics and that level of wealth like you're gonna be i don't maybe this is maybe i'm wrong but i feel like at that level no matter who you are like you kind of have to be shady to be that successful yeah like you have to at least step on people right Right. Well, yeah, because you have to start thinking of the like the greater good rather than individuals. So like no matter what, even if you're the best president of the whole world or even if you're like the best whatever, you know, let's like let's scale this down. Okay, so if you're the father of nine kids, you're going to probably have to treat like you're going to have to make some decisions that are like not necessarily gonna be good for all of them right because you're just like oh i want all of them to succeed as much as i can and so you're right. gonna do some shitty stuff like maybe one of them's a little bit of a black sheep you need to give that person a lobotomy and make them disappear yeah. <laughs> and right. then like that that might infect the you know your positive vibes for the rest of your life but that's your karma right because right. it's so not that, like exactly they, I mean, they did a lot, you know, they were a family that lived really fast. They had a lot of success, but they also had an equal amount of tragedy. And that would go along perfectly with a karma theory, which basically says what goes around comes around. So for every bad thing they did, a bad thing had to come back around to them. So that's, well, that's theory number three. Yeah. I mean, it has to balance itself out. 
Yeah. If we believe in karma, then that sounds like very reasonable, a very reasonable theory. Yeah. Okay. Theory, theory number four is a mafia curse or a Cuban Santeria curse. So this curse starts with JFK's brother, General Bobby Kennedy, who waged a war on organized crime. According to Biography.com, JFK and his brother Robert F. Kennedy began a campaign to stop mob influence on the Teamsters Labor Union. When JFK was elected president in 1960, he appointed Robert as attorney general. In his new role, Robert began a very public attack on organized crime, in particular going after Jimmy Hoffa, who had been elected leader of the Teamsters Union in 1957. At that time, the union controlled the majority of commercial trucking in the United States. Hoffa was known to consort with major mafia bosses, the mob having already corrupted many labor unions in large cities. As a senator, Robert pursued Hoffa over racketeering charges, though no conviction was brought against the Teamster leader. On becoming attorney general, Robert went so far as to form a Get Hoffa squad to aid his quest, ultimately succeeding in bringing him to justice. In 1964, Hoffa was convicted of attempted bribery of a grand jury and sentenced to eight years in prison, but it was the earlier actions of the Kennedys that adds fuel to the assassination theory involving the mob. When JFK was unsuccessful in overthrowing Cuban leader Fidel, Ca Fidel Castro in 1961, mafia-controlled casinos on the island remained shut down, angering American crime family bosses who had invested heavily to create a tourist destination to rival Las Vegas. Theorists suggest that the mafia and Hoffa conspired to kill the president or that the Italian mafia performed a curse spell that would affect the family for all time. This theory basically says that everything bad that has ever happened to the Kennedy family comes from their ties to the Italian mafia, who perhaps either have hired people to make bad things happen to the Kennedys or have placed an Italian hex on the family for their meddling and mob affairs. Whoa. An alternative... Yeah, an alternative theory suggests that because JFK tried to overthrow Fidel Castro and failed, perhaps a Cuban hex or a hex from the religion Santeria was placed on the Kennedy family for revenge. And this led me down a rabbit hole about Santeria hexes on U.S. presidents. And apparently Don Donald Trump, like all of the, they're like a bunch of Cubans, like came together to perform hexes on him. And I actually have a video of some Cuban Santeria practice practitioners performing a hex um let me send it to you right now yeah i need to see this Okay, okay so theory number five bootlegging money this one comes from the dailybeast.com in an article entitled The Myth of Joe Kennedy's Bootlegging by Noah Rothbaum. According to lore, Joe Kennedy built the family's fortune by bootlegging. Just as George Washington is now known for his rye whiskey distillery and Harry Truman's love of bourbon famously helped him defeat his formidable opponent Dewey, the Kennedy family was synonymous with East Coast rum running. But apparently this story has already been debunked. Um, a some an author named Daniel Okrent looked into Joe Kennedy and said that he could not find anything to corroborate this theory. And so he's basically said that he debunked it. The theory, but I mean, you know, who knows? The theory comes because just he was just because you can't find anything that says it's true doesn't mean that it's not true. That's yes, <laughs> that's what I that's our whole theory for this podcast, our whole like basis for this uh, show that we do but basically he was joe kennedy was involved in distilling alcohol and then the prohibition happened but he maintained his wealth so people right, think so he that stop. he 
Right. So people think he he like bootlegged. Um, and they also think that he sold some of his alcohol to mobsters because mobsters were involved in bootlegging. So that would like also kind of go along with like the mobster or Italian mafia curse theory. And theory number six is the curse of Tippecanoe. And this is my favorite one. Have you ever heard, Natalia, of William Henry Harrison? No, but isn't like Tippecanoe like a famous Native American chief? Okay, so... You're super close. It's the name of a river, but there's a Native American chief that goes along with this curse. So you're absolutely, you're correct. So William Henry Harrison was the ninth president of the United States of America. He was elected president in 1840, but he died in 1841 of typhoid and pneumonia, just 31 days after being sworn in as president. He became the first... Isn't that like, that's so shitty. So he became the first president to die in office and also had the shortest tenure of any American president. Side note, his death is the reason why our constitution now says that the vice president becomes the new president in the event of a president's death. Prior to his short-lived presidency, William Henry Harrison was an American military officer and governor. During his early military career, he participated in the 1794 Battle of Fallen Timbers, an American military victory that effectively ended the Northwest Indian War. Later, he led a military force against Tecumseh's Confederacy at the Battle of Tippecanoe in 1811, where he earned the nickname Old Tippecanoe. So that's who you're thinking of, is Tecumseh? Yeah. Um, And then... So basically the Battle of Tippecanoe to just like boil it down. And I could be wrong. This is what I read. So there was a canoe. Someone flipped it. They all died. And now we all died. Yeah. Okay. So so basically in the in the 1800s in America, there was a struggle over land between Native Americans and New Americans or people whose ancestors came from Europe. Right. Spoiler so I, alert. I, Spoiler alert, I assume everyone already knows about this. So in 1800, then-President John Adams signed into law an act that formed something called the Indiana Territory. It included parts of modern-day Indiana, Illinois, and Michigan. The governor of the Indiana Territory was William Henry Harrison. Harrison negotiated the 1809 Treaty of Fort Wayne, in which the Native Americans ceded large tracts of land to the government. The treaty angered Shawnee leader Tecumseh and brought government soldiers and Native Americans to the brink of war in a period known as Tecumseh's War. Tecumseh and his brother organized a group of Native American tribes to resist the westward expansion of the United States. In 1811, Tecumseh's forces attacked Harrison's army in the Battle of Tippecanoe. In an account of the aftermath of the battle battle, in which Tecumseh dies, Tecumseh's brother, Tinsk, Watawa supposedly set a curse against Harrison. According to legend, this curse is the reason why Harrison died so soon after becoming president. Some say that this curse of death and misfortune is also said to extend to any president elected in a year ending in zero. And because our elections are held um, every four years, the curse applies to presidents elected in years that are evenly divisible by 20. According to legend, Tenskwatawa, who was nicknamed the prophet, said, Harrison will die, I tell you, and after him, every great chief chosen every 20 years thereafter will die. And when each one dies, let everyone remember the death of my people. And how many presidents do you think have died in office, Natalia? Every one of them that was on the 20, that was on a year that ended in zero. Ding, ding, ding. So... Eight presidents have died in office, and seven of them were uh, elected in years divisible by 20. 
And according to Snopes.com, William Henry Harrison was elected in 1840, died of pneumonia at the age of 68, exactly one month after his inauguration. Abraham Lincoln was elected in 1860 and assassinated by John Wilkes Booth just after embarking on his second term in office. James A. Yeah, rude. James A. Garfield (laughs) won the 1880 election and was shot in the back in a Washington Railroad Station waiting room in July 1881. Also rude. also rude William McKinley was re-elected in 1900 and in September 1901 after giving a speech at the exposition in Buffalo he was shot while shaking hands with well-wishers rude Warren G. Harding elected in 1920 expired of a stroke or heart attack in 1923 but it was long rumored that his wife had poisoned him rude rude Franklin D. Roosevelt, re-elected in 1940 for a third term, suffered a massive cerebral hemorrhage and died just after having started an unprecedented fourth term in 1945. John F. Kennedy was elected in 1960 and assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald in 1963. Ronald Reagan was elected in 1980, but managed to cheat the Grim Reaper by a matter of an inch, the distance by which would-be assassin John Hinckley's bullet missed his heart in 1981. It is so he also, survived? So he survived. So people think he broke Tecumseh's curse. Um, and I'm going to tell you. What do you do to break it? So let me tell you. So it's interesting that, to note that Ronald Reagan, who was elected in 1980, did not die in office. However, that's only because he survived his assassination attempt. And the same goes for George W. Bush, who was elected in 2000 and also survived an assassination attempt. <gasps> I did didn't you know that? Okay, I didn't know that either. I feel like this was kept very quiet. But so I looked it up because I was like, what the fuck? I was alive yeah. then. Why don't I remember this? So apparently a guy named Vladimir Artuyinian threw oh, a hand yeah, that grenade. Sounds, that sounds like an assassin 100%, I believe it. Okay, it made me really sad because he's Armenian and I'm Armenian. And I was like, why? Like, can we not? Like, okay, so How do you he, think I feel? I'm Pakistani, okay? I know, like, come on, guys. Like, this fucking sucks. So, <laughs> so he threw a hand grenade at Bush and at Georgian President Mikhail Saakashvili on the 10th of May, 2005, when Bush was in Georgia giving a speech. The attempt failed when the grenade did not detonate. Ooh, that's super awkward. Yeah, super awkward. Because it's just like you throw a grenade and then you're like, ha! And then like it's just sitting there on the floor and you're like, uh, okay. Right. Uh, And it's like super obvious what you've done. Right. (laughs) There's like some, you know, there's supposed to be like a whole bunch of chaos so you can like run away and stuff, you know, like everything's blowing up. Right. But instead you throw it at like. And then Nothing everyone happens. just looks, yeah, everyone just looks in the direction that it came from and they see you and they're like, hey. And they're like, well, what did you just do? Yeah, I know. That's super awkward. <laughs> so, okay. So according to Mark Dodich, an astrologer who attempted to analyze the curse of Tecumseh. Oh, exactly. That's exactly what we need is an astrologer to weigh in on this. Thank you. So he thinks that the reason why Reagan and Bush survived their assassination attempts is only because of cosmic coincidence. Um, And he claims that the curse's effects overlap with the alignment of Jupiter and Saturn, whose orbits have lined up every 20 years. And one of the two 20-year pattern failures, which was President Ronald Reagan, is explained by the sign of the alignment of these two planets occurred under. Alignments under the Earth's signs, which is Taurus, Capricorn, or Virgo, have led to dead presence. But Reagan's term occurred under an air sign accounting for his survival. Oh, 
that makes sense. I'm an air sign. Wow, Alyssa, this episode, you single-handedly proved <laughs> astrology to be accurate. I mean, you know, you never know. I know that's and not then- what you were going for, but that's what you've done. That So basically, this theory, which is Tecumseh's curse, really only proves the part of the Kennedy curse that has to do with JFK's assassination, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. really the only thing that it could be a cause of. And also interesting to note, the next election on a zero is happening this year at the end of this year with Trump versus Biden. So uh, if we believe in this theory and if we think that Reagan didn't break Tecumseh's curse, then that means whoever's elected next is going to be assassinated. Oh, well, that's going to change things for some people. Right. So we're kind of living through Tecumseh's curse right now. Well, I think more people should know that. Like if you knew whoever was going to be elected to office might you know tragically be killed in some supernatural curse then like i feel like that would change who you vote for right like you would probably want someone in office that you wanted to die oh shit natalia you're wow that's actually true so you guys if you believe in tecumseh's curse technically you should vote for whoever you want to die not whoever you want to become president interesting wow okay theory theory number seven is murphy's law um, Murphy's Law basically is, it's kind of like a joke but also like true wait Murphy's Law is basically like anything that can go wrong will go wrong yes because it's exactly one of the possibilities exactly so it's but basically see, like yeah explain it and then I'll tell you what I think okay so basically Murphy's Law um this is from an article called How Murphy's Law Works, written by Josh Clark. Um, he he basically says that this is like the essence of Murphy's Law. You're sitting in eight lanes of bumper-to-bumper traffic. You're more than ready to get home, but you notice to your great dismay that all of the other lanes seem to be moving but yours. You change lanes, but once you do, the cars in your new lane come to a dead halt. At a standstill, you notice every lane on the highway, including the one you just left, is moving except yours. You played yourself. Yeah. Welcome to the aggravating world of Murphy's Law. This idiom says that whatever can go wrong will go wrong, and it may just be right. This isn't because of some mysterious power the law possesses. In reality, it's us who give Murphy's Law relevance. When life goes well, little is made of it. After all, we expect that things should work out in our favor. But when things go badly, we look for reasons. Um, believe it or not, there really was a Murphy, and he lived in the United States until his death in 1990. Captain Edward A. Murphy was an engineer in the Air Force. Although he took part in other engineering design tests throughout both his military and civilian careers, it was one test that he attended almost as a fluke that gave rise to Murphy's Law. In 1949, at Edwards Air Force Base in California, officers were conducting Project MX-981 tests to determine once and for all how many Gs, the force of gravity, a human being could withstand. They hoped that their findings could be applied to future airplane designs. The project team used a rocket sled dubbed the G-Wiz to simulate the force of an airplane crash. The sled traveled more than 200 miles per hour down this a half-mile track. super dangerous. Like, yeah. what, will it simulate an airplane crash? Like, just to uh, see how much someone can take before they die just because? Right. So, basically, over the course of several months, this guy named Stop, Paul Stop. Um, His name he is volunteered. Stop? His name is yeah. literally Stop. Like, don't do it. S-T-A-P-P. Stop or Stop. I don't know. S- still, though, but your he... name is Stop. 
can you please not? Yeah, you need to stop. (laughs) So he volunteered to like be the guinea pig to ride the rocket sled. And over the course of several months, he got broken bones, concussions, broken blood vessels in his eyes, um, all in the name of science. Murphy attended one of these tests bearing a gift, a set of sensors that could be applied to the harness that held Dr. Stop to the rocket sled. These sensors were capable of measuring the exact amount of G-force applied when the rocket sled came to a sudden stop, making the data more reliable. There are several stories about what happened that day and about who exactly contributed what to the creation of Murphy's Law, but what follows is a good approximation of what happened. Um, The first test after Murphy hooked up his sensors to the harness produced a reading of zero. All of the sensors had been connected incorrectly. For each sensor, there were two ways of connecting them, and each one was installed the wrong way. When Murphy discovered the mistake, he grumbled something about the technician who was allegedly blamed for the foul-up. Murphy said something along the lines of, if there are two ways to do something and one of those ways will result in disaster, he'll do it that way. Shortly thereafter... That's super comforting to hear. Yeah, right. And so um, later, that got turned into whatever can go wrong will go wrong um and so basically like it's just saying that like if if one if the kennedys are gonna like if tragedy is gonna strike the kennedys of course it's gonna strike the kennedys so it's basically kind of like a theory of coincidence in a way yeah well so that's super interesting i didn't know the origins of murphy's law i always thought that it was like kind of like a mathematical thing like oh if there is a possibility you know of all the possibilities that something can go wrong which of course there exists you know then it will go wrong because like in one of those universes that's going on right now in one of those dimensions there has to be one where it's going wrong and we just might be on that one you know that's how exactly took it but I well, also I mean, took that, well, if then that's true, then there's one of those things that's right. And so you just have to sonically tune your intuition to the same intuition heartbeat of the universe. Wise words from Natalia Strawn. <laughs> Somebody put that on a poster for Let's Get Haunted. Okay, we're almost done. The, you're, this is I predict this is going to be your favorite theory, Natalia. Theory number eight. Have you ever heard of Sanpaku? Who? Sanpaku? Sanpaku? No. No, I've never heard of. Is that a person? Um, no. So Sanpaku or Sanpakugan is a Japanese term meaning three whites. It is generally referred to in English as Sanpaku eyes and refers to eyes in which either the white space above or below the iris is revealed. According oh, to crazy eyes. Yes. yes I know okay. exactly what this is. Perfect. Okay, so according to Chinese-Japanese medical face reading, when the white part of the eye, known as the sclera, is visible beneath the iris, it represents physical imbalances in the body and is claimed to be present in alcoholics, drug addicts, and people who overconsume sugar or grain. Conversely, when the upper sclera is visible, it is said to be an indication of mental imbalance in people such as psychotics, murderers, and anyone rageful. Um, however, according to Japanese folklore, if the bottom part of the eye or the bottom white part of the eye is exposed when you're just like looking on, because normally that's not exposed, it could also mean that you are cursed to die a painful death or to die a premature or unnatural death. And do you want to guess who has the lower whites of their eyes exposed? It is apparently genetically common in the Kennedy clan, including um, JFK. You can like see pictures of him. He has the bottom part of his white, ex- uh, white part of his eye exposed. 
They have crazy eyes. I knew it. They have crazy eyes. So other notable people that have this condition are Julius Caesar, Abraham Lincoln, Adolf Hitler, Princess Diana, and Marilyn Monroe. All of those people died horrible, tragic, premature deaths. I also have crazy eyes. You No, you don't. I don't see the whites under your eyes. Well, if, if you do, Natalia, we're going to have to like assign you a bodyguard because you can't die prematurely. It's not allowed. Right. Like this bodyguard is just going to prevent death from happening to me. Yes. Okay. Correct. Like Ronald well, Reagan escaped, escaped death. We just need to have you like assigned a secret service agent. Okay. So next one is um, theory number nine is astrology. And basically this theory just says that because of all of their like um, astrological signs, like everyone in the Kennedy family was like born during a time where like Mercury's in retrograde or where like these two planets are aligned that like fuck shit up. And so that's why they like have this curse. Theory number 10 is coincidence, which basically just says like the Kennedy family is huge. So of course, bad things are going to happen to some of the people. No, I don't believe that one. I think it's too much of a coincidence. Theory number 11 is hubris. And this theory is very simple. According to author Les Williams, Joe Kennedy raised his children to believe that they were better than anyone else and that they had to win every time and at any cost. His obsessive driving ambition would influence the decisions his children made and the way they lived their lives. And this controlling overbearing approach would have disastrous consequences for the family over the years. So basically this theory says like Imagine having an insane amount of money that you can and you can get anything that you want at any time. Well, then you're going to have access to more things than the average person. And therefore, you have a greater exposure to danger. Like, for example, most of us can't afford to fly on private planes. So therefore, we're not going to crash in a private plane. Right. Like that's what I that's what I mean. Like they're living fast. You know, they're having more experiences. They're getting out more. They're doing more. They're making more people angry, like, et cetera. Right. Yeah. So um, basically that theory, like if you're a skeptic, then that's the theory you believe, right? Is like, well, well, they had access to more things. So therefore they had more opportunities to die. The more, basically the more people you know or that know about you, the more likely you are to piss someone off and that person be crazy and try to kill you. So basically like the more famous you are, the more likely you're going to get assassinated. Right. And like one of those guys was like literally the president of the United States of America. So exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. If you have the opportunity to become the president, then you're automatically famous and then automatically crazy people are going to want to kill you. Right. Like, no, hopefully no one wants to kill us because we're just super unimportant. But like our exposure is still greater than like someone who doesn't have a podcast. Right. Well, we you know, we do have to kind of take into account that we are exposing the underbellies of, you know, what it is that makes society tick. And we are exposing paranormal activity, which has long been under wraps, which is why the Wikipedia page is taking so long to get up. We've come full circle. And okay, this is the very last theory, Natalia. Theory number 12, and I'm about to rock your fucking socks. Um, So when I was researching all of the ways that people think the origin of the Kennedy curse came about, that very first theory, number one, I read you about the potato famine and how like they didn't send money back and that's why they're cursed. Uh, Some lady commented on that article a month ago and she said 
in her comment, hey, I'm related to the Kennedys and I know why they're cursed. And so I want you to like email me and like, Wait, did I'll you tell email you. Her? So I fucking emailed her because <gasps> the author of that article never emailed her and she responded. Wait, and wait, wait, wait. How do you know the author of the article never emailed her? Well, because she said that he never did. And so I just fucking emailed her because I was like, why the fuck not? And yeah. she's been sending me emails back and forth. So if I get more information today, I'll like record it after the fact. But this is what I have so far from her. So she says, and I'm not going to say her name because I don't, I didn't ask her for permission. So I don't know if she wants it out there. But well, listen, she we said. We start talking about how you're going to get killed one day by a stranger. I God, I hope not. I hope and no then, one can and ever. And then we're find gonna me. be on Let's Get Haunted, and then people are gonna be like, "Well, it was because she was cursed," and I'm gonna be like, "No, it's because she was a fucking dumbass and like Facebook <laughs> messaging people who were involved with murder scam artists." I know, like basically, I may have just like caused my own death, but this is what, it's in the name to, of Let's Get Haunted. I'm gonna have to like give a speech at your funeral. Everyone's gonna be like, Natalia, like say something because you you know you spend a lot of time with Liz, and I'm gonna be like. Everyone's going to be super disappointed because I'm going to go up there and I'm going to be like, look, she asked for Alyssa, it. Yeah. Like, let me give you a fucking a whole presentation right up here. If you look <laughs> up on the whiteboard, you will see an entire slide dedicated to stupid shit Alyssa did. <laughs> yeah, basically, this is what she said. She said. Hi, Allie. My great-grandmother, times four, was from Ireland, and she migrated to South Africa around 1820. She was from the Kennedy family in Ireland. Her daughter got married to famous explorer Charles John Anderson, and they moved to Southwest Africa in Nambia in 1867. In 1867, Charles Anderson was killed, and his wife and children were kidnapped by the natives. The natives held them hostage in the mountains and kept them there, and they still have not been found till this day. The day Sarah Jane Atchison Anderson was captured in 1867 is the day that the natives cursed her and our entire family bloodline, even her husband's relatives. It's a generational curse. The reason for this curse was due to, I don't think English is this lady's first language, um, so I'm kind of paraphrasing, but she says the reason of this curse was because they didn't want Sarah and her children to ever be found, so they cursed the family so that they would have no possible means to find them. For example, if they became rich, they would die. That way they could never find the missing members of their lineage. We we still have not found them to this day. During World War II, a great uncle met with some Kennedy relatives in Egypt, and he told them about our kidnap story. Right after that, my great uncle was told to go gather family photos in Southwest Africa, where he was from. So when he came back, and the natives heard that the uncle had met with some of our our some of our white relatives at war, they panicked and they added on to the curse. Things in their lives started going wrong and all of the elders started dying. The uncle got poisoned. Businesses started going wrong. Marriages started breaking up. Families losing estates in England. The curse affected everyone who was related to us. It didn't matter where you were in the world. Um, we are distantly related to the famous Lloyd family of Lloyd's Bank in England. Some of our elders consulted fortune tellers and they told us the same story of the curse and even some of the relatives from England. To prove that we are from the Kennedy family, I did my DNA test and some Kennedy family members appeared on the matches. I will forward you some family photos to prove that I am part of the Kennedy family. Did she I do hope it? Um, so not yet, but she says, I hope it will go out into the world so that people will understand it. I'll recommend you to read some books of Charles John Anderson. And he mentioned how 
the natives believed in witchcraft and how they practiced hexing people. I think the book's name is Notes of the Traveler in Southwestern Africa. Please reply, kind regards, and then her name. And then I said... Um, do you mind if I ask a few follow-up questions if it's not too much of a bother? One, what is the name of your great-grandmother times four? Two, do you know the name of her daughter, the one who married Charles Anderson? Three, do you have any more information on why they were kidnapped? Um, five, do you have any information on what type of curse was placed on the family or any information regarding any specific rituals? And how did you hear about the curse if those family members were never found? Thank you very much. I'm very interested. And then she said, I will respond to you soon. Just gathering all of the information that you need. This is a very sensitive story because big politicians around the world are involved in our disappearance and our wealth. I think it is time for the story to be told to the world. Um, South Africa, Nambia, Sweden, and Germany governments are all involved. I am a descendant <gasps> generation five. Kind regards. Alyssa, we're going to get murdered. Yeah, we're bas basically someone's going to kill us is what I'm saying. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, this is a historic moment and let's get haunted history. Are you willing to die for the truth to get out, Alyssa? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. And I'm really not sure. This is all happening so fast that I'm not. I'm really not sure. I really haven't thought about it that deeply. Like wow. this last email Alyssa. was literally sent to me like an hour ago. Alyssa. Wow, that's super interesting. I'm I literally, you know, I'm there was not one thing you were talking about that didn't sound that just sounded like garbage, like made up bullshit. You know, like all of it has some merit to it. Which theory out of all of the 12 theories that we talked about, like which one is the most likely to you or which one piqued your interest more? The Tippecanoe one, because, you know, he said like every president will die with a 20 or with a zero on the end of it in the election year. And every president up until now, possibly now will die of that. Also, it's just really relevant and it's like a, just a cool thing. You know, it ties in yeah. my favorite shit, like Native <laughs> American culture and uh, it ties in like to present day and also astrology. And it's just like, to me, that's the best theory because it just, it's just the one that's the wildest ride, but also every single part of it makes sense within the theory you know right like every president ending in a zero has either died in office or like do you think reagan broke the curse that's another question i have for you because he survived his assassination attempt but then george w bush someone tried to assassinate him and he survived and if reagan had broken the curse then why would someone have tried to kill george w because he was Judge George W. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, not a lot of people liked him, you know? Yeah, that's true. So do you think that in 2020, that president, whoever's elected next, is going to die in office? I mean, I, I hope not, obviously. Like, I don't want people to die. Um, right. But I, ho I hope they can break the curse. I hope that they would figure that out. I hope that someone breaks the whole curse that the world is under right now, you know? Yeah. I see. I thought that you were going to pick the cursed treasure as your favorite theory or the one that you liked the most. So you just surprised me today by picking the cursed Tecumseh. Well, I don't like the idea that the treasure is cursed. Like at first I was on board with it, but then I was like, no, I want to believe that like if you find something on the ground, like that's the real American dream. You come to this country <laughs> with nothing and you find a bunch and of gold on the ground. And you just find a pot of gold. Yeah. Yeah. And then 
you live your life. Fair. Okay. That makes sense. Can to me. we update the American Dream Wikipedia page instead of being like, oh, you come from nothing from another country and make it in this country and then you for generations go on and your family gets a curse and you become president of the United States of America, but then you get assassinated and all of your brothers and sisters die in tragic plane wrecks because they can afford to fly so much. To you come to this country <laughs> and you find gold in the ground and then that's it that's it i think that's the american dream that's you're right that's the american dream and i think that that's the perfect place to end this episode natalia do you want to do our sign off sure um oh god i can't think of something to say that's not problematic right now help me out a little bit wait 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 BRB, gotta go build a machine to test what a human being can endure (laughs) until they die just for fun, apparently. (laughs) Perfect. All right, guys. Bye. Bye. Sources for this episode come from wikipedia.org, an ABC News article entitled The Irish Kennedys by Con Corrigan, an article found on eastcoaststories.com entitled How the Kennedy Curse Started in Ireland, an article found on sparechangenews.net entitled The Origin of the Kennedy Curse by Tom Prendeville, biography.com, an article on villagevoice.com entitled This Cuban-American Witch Hopes the Hex She Put on Donald Trump Doesn't Kill Him by Jackson Connor, an article found on thedailybeast.com entitled The Myth of Joe Kennedy's Bootlegging by Noah Rothbaum, the book Last Call by author Daniel Okrent, snopes.com, dictionary.com, an article called How Murphy's Law Works written by Josh Clark, optometry-today.com, and an article called The Oracle and the Family Curse by Liz Green.